We're in the uh, Gospel of Mark, so if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, please. Mark chapter 1. Verses 21 through 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. That's Jesus. He was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they were questioning among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now we see that Jesus here is uh, teaching in the town of Capernaum. This was on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. We spent some time last week talking about the Sea of Galilee, really a lake in the region, the northern region of Galilee. It was, a, it was a fishing town. There were lots of people who made their livelihood as fishermen, their occupation. This was a bustling town, and it was where Jesus ended up making his headquarters. It was his, his central location for his Galilean ministry. This is where he would work out of. The Bible teaches us that. And the Bible says here in verse 21 that he's teaching on the Sabbath. The Sabbath being Saturday, he's there teaching, and uh, uh, this would be their holy day when they would uh, come to the synagogue. It says there on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. They would have various teachers, various preachers who would preach and teach at different times in the synagogue. The synagogue was a place of worship. It was a place of instruction. After the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. by the Babylonian Empire, uh, synagogues began to spring up all over the place. The temple had been destroyed. And in replacing the temple, they had different places of Jewish instruction. And these places were called synagogues. They sprouted up all over the place. It's kind of interesting that they have actually excavated a synagogue in Capernaum that they date back to the 4th or 5th century A.D. And underneath it, they have found a foundation that many believe, and it's very likely, it's not certain, but it's extremely likely that this foundation is the foundation of the exact synagogue that Jesus was teaching here in Capernaum in our text here in Mark chapter 1. 
And the Bible says as he's teaching, he's teaching on the Sabbath, he's teaching in this fishing village, he's teaching in a synagogue, he's teaching in a synagogue that perhaps we even know exactly where it is. The Bible tells us in verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching. They marveled at it. They were amazed at his teaching. But it tells us why they were amazed at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, we have been talking about this matter of authority with Jesus. We talked about it last week where Jesus, because he is fully divine, he is fully God, he has such a commanding and yet humble presence about him. He has all authority and all power, and he's walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we see in this text in chapter 1, we see the clear authority of Christ. He comes to his followers. We saw the, the four men that he came to last week. And he says, follow me. And the Bible says immediately these four men dropped their nets and they began to follow Christ. Who has authority like that? We noted the fact that often disciples would actually pick their rabbi or their teacher, but not with Jesus. He comes by and he says, you follow me. And even though they had known him, even though they had walked with him, they said, yes, sir, immediately with joy, with anticipation, they followed him. That's authority. That's authority. Here Jesus comes into a synagogue and he begins to teach. And the Bible says that he teaches with authority. In just a second, we're going to see his authority also over the demonic. And as we're thinking about this text, and as we are going through it, thinking about the utter authority of Christ, one of the things that we need to begin to think about in our mind is the authority that Christ has in our own lives. And there are some people, perhaps everyone who has walked into this uh, room this morning, there is a situation in your life where you need Christ to come in with his authority and speak to your situation and begin to change it. You need the authority of Christ. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're saying, there's, there's something I've been praying for. Perhaps uh, this week you have been harassed by the enemy. Perhaps you've been going through things in your life. Perhaps it's relationships. Perhaps it's things at work. Perhaps it's things at church. Perhaps it's just you're, you're feeling down. You're feeling uh, discouraged. You're going, why, why is this going on? Perhaps it's even going into your worship life, your praise life. You come in on Sunday morning, you want to praise. You really do. Your heart loves Jesus. It's not that you don't love him. It's not that you don't know him. But you need the authority of Christ to come in and speak to your situation and say to you, be free, be free. And this is, this is what Christ has. This is the kind of power that Christ has. Now the Bible tells us with his teaching that his teaching was unique. 
and that it astonished his hearers to the point of where they were amazed at his teaching. The scripture here tells us that they were amazed because he taught not as the scribes taught. The scribes were educated people. They were experts in the law. They knew the Old Testament backward and forward. Oftentimes they would teach in the synagogues. They knew how to copy manuscripts uh, meticulously. They knew how to transcribe things. They, they knew what they were talking about. These were, these were knowledgeable people. And yet the Bible says here that when Jesus taught, when he preached, he didn't teach like one of them. Because when they taught, they would simply quote other authorities. In fact, their sermons ended up becoming much like a book report. They would get up and they would begin to preach. They would begin to teach. And they would quote this scribe and this rabbi extensively. They would go into long-winded quotations about uh, small matters that were simply causing the people who were listening to them their eyes would glaze over as they were listening to these scribes as they would debate minute matters of the law. And they would say, based upon the authority of this person, we're going to quote him. And they would stand up there and they would quote and they would quote and they would quote and they would quote. And then they would get done, another scribe would get up, and the people were listening to this, trying to follow all the technicalities and all the things that they were saying. Really, these scribes were very good at impressing themselves, and people liked them. But they weren't connecting with the people. They, they knew their stuff in a certain way, but they didn't preach with power. They just got up there and went through their sermon and their teaching, and it was extremely dull. It was boring. And so the people are listening to this, and all of a sudden, Jesus walks in, and he has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as he begins to talk, the things that he begins to say, the teaching that he gives, he's not quoting this teacher and that teacher, but he's actually speaking clearly and concisely and with power under his own authority as the Son of God. And as they're listening to this, they're thinking to themselves, we have heard teaching before. We've heard guys that get up and give some pretty impressive lectures. But we have never, ever heard teaching like this. You say, well, what made it so powerful? Well, it made it powerful because, number one, he's God. It made it powerful because when he preached and taught, he preached with conviction. As one person uh, that I read wrote, he said he actually, when he preached, he actually believed what he preached. You know, one of the worst things you can do is have a preacher who doesn't even believe what he preaches. There, there, are, there are people today, there are people within ministry that get up and they go through their sermon, their little, their little homily, 
And uh, they go for two, three minutes. Nice little story, nice little poem. Everyone claps. Isn't that wonderful, but so precious, precious little talk. Some of the sermons that we hear today have as much content or even less than those old children's sermons. You remember the children's sermons when the pastor would gather all the children around him? You say, now children, now we're going to talk about this. And actually, it's a, a wonderful thing. But listen, it's not a wonderful thing. When someone gets up and all they're doing is talking a bunch of nonsense and a bunch of moralistic stories and nobody gets fed, nobody understands what's going on. The only people that are impressed are those who are speaking and those who are like him. Listen, people are in bondage. People are struggling. And when they come in to hear something from God, that's exactly what they want to hear. They want to hear the voice of God actually speaking to them. When you came in this morning, we pray and we believe that you didn't just come in to hear a nice little story and to then go home. You have come in this morning to worship Almighty God in our singing, to worship Him in our giving, and to worship Him in our listening. And there are people here who need to be delivered of all sorts of things. And listen, there have been people who have been praying on Tuesday nights. There have been people who have been praying throughout the week that God would intervene into lives within this church. And as we hear the word of God, we would take it for exactly what it is. It is God speaking to us. That's what this is. When we open this up, when we hear the words of Jesus in this text, we are actually listening to the words of God. And there are people within this room, you desperately need Jesus Christ to speak with authority into your life. So he speaks with conviction, he speaks with authority, he spoke with authority. But I believe the scripture gives us one of the primary reasons that he spoke with authority and this is in Luke chapter 4. So why don't you turn with me over to Luke chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Now, Luke chapter 4, now Jesus is at Nazareth. This is not a parallel to our text that will come later in Luke. But this does give us an insight into our text and into where he's at in Capernaum. And he came, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth, verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now, here, here we go. This is, this is how we know, and this is why we know he speaks with authority. Because in verse 18... He says, quoting from Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
That's why he spoke with authority. Because when he spoke, he spoke with the anointing and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you remember in our text in Mark chapter 1, he was baptized and we saw that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And it was showing us that the Holy Spirit was anointing him for his ministry. He walked and he talked and he preached and he ministered as our example in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this brings us to something that's very important. And it's something that we desperately need today in our churches that God would raise up ministers and people who love Jesus with all of their heart and who look at him as their example and walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Do you know it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of sin? It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This text tells us that it is possible to get up and give a speech that includes some verses and some great quotes from some great religious authorities and still be dry and unanointed. And it is possible to substitute all sorts of things within the church to keep people entertained, to keep people listening. But the one who has ears to hear says, there's something missing here. There's something missing. And Jesus points out to us in this text exactly what is missing. And that is the anointing and the power and the presence of God Almighty. We desperately need the power and the presence of God in our lives. That's what we need. You can, you can have everything else, but if we are missing out on the anointing of the Holy Spirit, listen, we have, we have missed out on everything about what the church is about and the people of God. When Jesus comes in, when Jesus is preaching, He's preaching under the authority and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this this morning. Have you encountered the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is he a reality to you? Has the Holy Spirit, have you seen with spiritualized Jesus Christ for who he really is because you have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life through the teaching and the preaching of God's Word, the Holy Spirit has a way of connecting right with our hearts. He ministers to us right where we're at. Where we're at. He knows exactly what we're going through, and the Holy Spirit comes and He pinpoints what we need to hear in the same text. All of us are listening to the same text. 
But as the text is being preached, the Holy Spirit is here and he's speaking. He's opening some people's hearts to Jesus Christ for the first time. He's causing other people who've known Christ simply to worship him and thank him for the fact that the Holy Spirit is here with us, a present reality. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want anything to do with the church if it does not practice and believe in and totally rely on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to go home. We need to stop. And my prayer is that people who are in churches where that is not taking place, where it's not about prayer, listen, we need to have, we need to have Gideon's army. Give, a, give, a, give us 30 men who will, who will follow after Christ rather than a thousand who are just simply going in and going out with no conviction, no power, no anointing, no ministry, simply listening to the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and what a despicable condition that is to be in. So when Jesus gets up and he begins to preach and he begins to teach, the people begin listening. Hard hearts begin to soften. Those who are religious, who have sat in church for years and who have heard nice little messages all of a sudden are going, wait a second, I thought I was okay, I thought I was religious, but I'm beginning to see that God is really who he says he is. The blinders are being lifted. Hearts are being opened and changed. But listen, it wasn't just the people there that are astonished at his teaching. The devil recognized that Jesus had showed up. And uh, you can guarantee that any time the anointing of the Holy Spirit is flowing and any time the presence of God is at work, and uh, let me just stop here and just say, listen, if you need Christ and Christ is speaking to you this morning and you hear his voice today, the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden them. If you're sitting here and you have listened to sermon after sermon after sermon, and you come in and yet you remain unchanged, today is the day to say, Lord Jesus, speak to me. Lord Jesus, like Samuel said, I'm here, your servant is listening. And there's at least one person sitting here and you've been resisting the power of the Holy Spirit. Woe to you if you keep resisting his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Well, as Jesus is teaching, there's a man there evidently in verse 23. The Bible says, and immediately there was in that synagogue or their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. Now, let's just, uh, let's just be very clear here. It is possible for a person that does not know Jesus Christ to be demon-possessed. Let's say this very clearly. The devil, Satan, the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. He's a real being, 
There are a lot of people who say, well, yes, evil exists. Yes, we believe in some form of evil. But a personal living being uh, that really is full of evil and tempting people and causing all sorts of havoc in the world, we're too sophisticated to believe in that. Actually, they show their unsophistication by believing that because they are example one in being deceived. There is a real devil. There is a real Satan a fallen angel, the scripture tells us. He's invisible. You can't see him. Sometimes he manifests himself. But the scripture tells us that along with Satan fell at least a third of the angels. And it's these angels that have become what we know as demons. They are unclean spirits. And it is possible for a person who does not know Christ, who does not have the Spirit of God indwelling them and living within them, to be possessed by the enemy. Now, we need to be very clear, not every non-believer is possessed. In fact, um, we would say that not even close to the majority are. But there are people who have opened themselves up, who have become possessed in different occasions, especially in our world, and I'm going to explain to you in just a second here, but even um, within Wilkes-Barre and other places, on rare occasions, people can actually become possessed of the enemy. And he comes in, and he is a liar. In fact, uh, Jesus calls him the father of lies. He's a destroyer. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. He was called the murderer from the very beginning. And his sole aim is to destroy the lives of people. And so he loves to tempt. He loves to ruin. In the lives of believers, listen very carefully, he cannot possess a believer. Now, we have had ministries that have sprouted up where people who have said that there are Christians who can actually be demon-possessed. And there have been phony deliverance ministries where someone will say, well, this Christian, they really love Jesus Christ and they have the spirit of God living within them, but they also have a, a devil living with them, in them, an unclean spirit. Listen, that is not possible. And so we need to put that to rest. But listen, he can harass and he can oppress those who do believe. And believe me, if you are sitting here and you're a Christian, he is doing everything. He and his demons are doing everything to tempt you, to destroy you, to give you a hard time, to cause you to want to sin and to give up your faith. That's what he's trying to do constantly. And we have had many people say, well, we don't want to get too much into spiritual warfare. You know, we don't want to get too involved in that. And yes, we do not want to get into these crazy deliverance ministries. And yes, we don't want to go to this extreme where if we sin, it's the devil made me do it. The devil's always making us do things. We understand that all of that is, is not right. But listen... I believe that oftentimes we have erred too far onto the other extreme where it's almost as if the devil doesn't even really exist. And I want to tell you he does. And I want to tell you this morning that there are demons trying to destroy your life. Believe me. 
And you need to wake up to that if you haven't already. If you're just going through life, well, I got a nice job, nice family. We're just walking through life. One of the primary things he wants to do is keep you preoccupied so that your passion is not wholeheartedly on Jesus Christ. And believe me, he will attack you. He'll attack your family. He'll attack churches. And here in our text, he is clearly attacking the Lord himself. So as Jesus is preaching, these people are listening, and their ears are perking up. They're going, we've never heard someone teach like this before. They're actually looking their very maker in the face. We've never heard this before. But it isn't only their ears that are perking up. This man is sitting there, and you can tell he's getting antsy. He's getting antsier and antsier and antsier. When's this thing going to end? When's this thing going to be over? i got to get out of here. As Jesus is preaching and preaching and preaching, no longer can this man hold it because he is under such possession by the enemy. Now, notice what it says in verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Evidently, the devil recognized who Jesus was. He says, what, what have you to do with us? Leave us alone. We're okay when the scribes are teaching. There's no power there. We're okay with contentless sermons that mean nothing. We're okay when, when the preacher's not preaching under the conviction and the unction of the Holy Spirit. We're okay with that. But here you come, we sense the difference. Maybe not everybody knows who you are. They're starting to realize, they're starting to see something's going on here. But we know who you are. We recognize you. And they say, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Answer, eventually, yes. You know, the demons are oftentimes more afraid of hell and the lake of fire than humans are. They knew exactly what was coming to them. Remember the demons on another account? Please send us into that herd of pigs. Why? Because they knew the judgment that is coming. Right now they're in darkness, they are in gloom, but someday their eternity forever and ever and ever is going to be a separation, never able to tempt the church, never able to destroy lives anymore. Their doom is going to be the lake of fire forever and ever and ever, and they know it. And let me just pause there to say uh, this morning, this afternoon, that if you don't know Christ, hell is real. Hell's real. The reason we preach the gospel is because our main passion and priority is the fact that people are lost without Jesus Christ and there is a real hell. The Bible says eventually all unbelievers and Satan and all his demons 
will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Listen, if we don't, if we don't get that right, if we don't get that basic understanding down, why are we here? We are here to pluck people from the fire and to teach people the word of God so that we all grow in Christ. If we don't get that, then what are we doing? What are we doing? If we don't have a passion for souls, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, why, why am I not concerned about people going to hell? Are you? When was the last time you thought of saying to someone, listen, I've got to tell you about Jesus, not because you just feel like you have to, but because you're so consumed with the fact that God is good, man is bad in his sin, and because of his own choice has decided to be separated from the blessed presence of God forever. When does that speak to us? Well, the devil here knew exactly what was going on. He says, uh, he says I've, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus is called the Holy One of God. Pure. You want to talk about a complete antithesis. You have unclean and filthy in this unclean demonic spirit and with Jesus listen you have complete purity and holiness and righteousness and goodness and power and authority you have the devil here completely unclean and you have Jesus Christ the Holy One of Israel and listen when Jesus comes into our life it doesn't matter what has happened in the past when a person really believes in him, when they really come to him and they really repent, listen, the purity of Jesus is given to you. And because of his blood, he washes us clean of all of our sins. Aren't you thankful for that? He washes us clean. Amen. Now, he's called the Holy One. I want to look at a few texts here. We've got to get moving here. Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. Psalm 16. Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. Psalm chapter 16, verse 10 says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that's the place of the dead, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One, there it is, your Holy One, see corruption. Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4. Ah, sinful nation. Isaiah 1, verse 4, All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, that's sin, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. Notice this, they have despised the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Last verse, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Uh, verse 27, Acts chapter 2, verse 27, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. This is talking about Jesus. He is the Holy One. 
or let your Holy One, there it is, verse 27, let your Holy One see corruption. So this unclean spirit convulsing and crying out, verse 26 of our text, came out of him. Now, one of the interesting things we see in Jesus' ministry is over and over again, he's casting out demons. You notice that? Demon here, out, demon here, out. There have been modern scholars, liberal scholars, teachers that have said, well, it really wasn't tr true demons. It was like schizophrenia. That's what they were dealing with. It was like a mental disorder. Perhaps they had Alzheimer's or something like that. Listen, that's not what's going on here. This is a personal presence of evil in the form of a demon. That's what's going on. You say, well, why don't we see that all the time today? I think it's interesting. One of the things that Joel Beakey says in his book, his excellent book, Striving Against Satan, he says this, after Christ's resurrection and ascension into heaven, demon possession greatly diminished. So you see all the forces of darkness. Old Testament spirit hadn't come in power on the day of Pentecost. In Jesus' ministry, they're just fighting him, fighting him, fighting him. But listen, he won on the cross. He crushed that serpent's head. It's over. And so uh, today we still see cases of demon possession, but we don't see it like we did in these times because of that very reason. In fact, it's interesting. Oftentimes when you hear of cases of demon possession, you hear about people going into the mission field somewhere where the gospel's never been preached. And these people are still bound to idols and all sorts of false deities and so forth. And a missionary comes in and preaches the gospel. And once you know exactly what happens, demons come out. People are liberated, spirit comes in, demon possession is over. Praise the Lord, amen? amen? But let me tell you something. It's not just over there. And as we are in America becoming more and more corrupt, and the understanding of the gospel is diminishing, I believe we're going to see an, a rise or an increase in demonic activity. And I believe that we see a, a large increase of demonic activity in the 60s with the whole sexual revolution. And as others have pointed out, I'm not the first to notice this by any means, but you have a, a, a sexual revolution with a heterosexual revolution in the 60s. What do you have now in the last 10 to 15 years? You have a homosexual revolution. And if you don't think that there are forces of darkness behind both of these movements, we've got another thing coming. So yes, we don't spot a demon behind every tree and under every rock, but we need to understand that this is very real and that the presence of darkness is real. And I'm going to close with this. Jesus says, well, let's read it together. Why don't we look at it here? Mark chapter 1. Notice what he says. Jesus says, verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him, that means this man is convulsing and crying out, this demon is shrieking out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they were questioning among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Listen, we do not believe in these weird, strange exorcisms. 
you're into like movies where they lay someone down on a table and this priest comes in and incantation after incantation and these freaky little prayers are being said and incense is being burned and finally the demon comes out. Listen, all that's demonic. That's demonic. That's not what we believe in. If you're into those kind of movies, stop. Stop watching them. It's darkness. When Jesus comes, he doesn't have some weird table exorcism. You know what he says? Come out. That's it. Conversation over. Devil, said, devil wants to have an argument. You're the Holy One of Israel. Let's talk about this. You come in to judge us? What's going on here? Jesus says, I'm not arguing. You can't win with the devil. So Jesus just says, out. That's the kind of exorcism we believe in. The authority of Christ. The authority of Christ. So when Christ says to his disciples, come, they come. When he teaches, he's speaking with authority. People are listening. Ears are perking up. And when the devil's listening, Jesus says, come out. And they come out. That's the authority of our risen Lord. And the Bible says that his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. You think? Wow. You know what this is telling us? Jesus is our hero. Aren't you glad for Jesus? He's awesome. Why don't you stand with me if the band could come? Jesus has all authority in this place. All authority.